This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read from God's Word this evening, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we begin our reading in verse 17 of Matthew 5. Our scripture reading consists of verse 17 through verse 26, and then verse 38 through 48, the last part of Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 17 through 26, and then 38 through 48. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven." Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Reka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. And now we go to verse 38. And read to the end of the chapter. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, 
go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Psalter, Lord's Day 40. The Heidelberg Catechism is expounding on the law of God, which we must obey out of thankfulness for what Christ has done. And Lord's Day 40 explains the sixth commandment, Thou shalt not kill. What does God require in the sixth commandment? That neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge. Also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger. Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. In forbidding murder, God teaches us that He abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that He counts all these as murder. But is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No. For when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, He commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards Him, and prevent His hurt as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. Beloved, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must cease from murdering one another. If He has so loved us, instead of bringing His wrath against us, would be, which would be for our doom, our destruction, and eternal death in hell, and you and I need to stop the killing of each other in hatred rather than love. 
When God looks in the church of the past, and even when He looks in the church of the present, He can see carnage. He can see the remains of cruel murdering. Of brother against brother, sister against sister. Members of the same family against one another. It's murder. Children, why don't you see literal blood dripping from fellow members? Why don't we see knives dismembering and hear guns blasting away here as they might in Myanmar? Because the kind of murder that I refer to, though it is as real as physical murder, it's the invisible kind of one another's souls. We are prone by nature to hate God and our neighbor. And living in close proximity to each other as fellow sinners prone to hate, we attack each other with our words, with our attitudes, with our quiet, seething anger and grudges. And Jesus calls that murder. The breaking of the sixth commandment. And so I call you this evening, stop murdering your children, parents. Stop cutting your spouses, husbands and wives. Stop stabbing brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ. Thou shalt not kill This commandment, though the the shortest, the briefest of commandments, has the broadest of application to our lives. Jesus explained this sixth commandment on the Sermon on the Mount to the Pharisees of His day and to the disciples of His day. He preached on the law of God. He did not avoid that law. He stood on the mount perhaps to remind the people of Mount Sinai, upon which Moses once stood, and he is one greater than Moses now, speaks the same law and expounds in the same commandments. The Ten Commandments he makes clear in the context that he did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, verse 17. To fulfill that law means, first of all, that he came to obey all those commandments. He himself, our righteousness, to obey all those commandments in perfect love, Though we ourselves break them, He kept them. Fulfills every single one of them in our place for our salvation. But to fulfill that law means also that He works in His people by His Spirit so that those for whom He has earned righteousness before God, He also works within them to obey the same law out of thankfulness. Walk in the paths of righteousness, though imperfectly, yet out of thanks for His name's sake. Jesus explains to His people He is here to fulfill the commandments. He is here in this worship service, speaking His Word for the fulfillment of His commandments. And Jesus explains to His people Here in Matthew 5, how we are to keep His commandments. We are to keep His commandments not only outwardly 
as the Pharisees were prone to, but we are to keep His commandments from the heart inwardly. Or inwardly. Here, expounding upon the sixth commandment in particular, we find Jesus pointing to the church's anger as the heart's manner of breaking the sixth commandment. And so with the words of Jesus, the supreme expositor of the law of God that He fulfills, consider with me the teaching of Lord's Day 40, the explanation of the sixth commandment under the theme, anger judged as murder. Anger judged as murder. First, anger forbidden. Second, reconciliation in particular commanded. And finally, the judgment warned about. In his sermon that he preached 2,000 years ago, and in this sermon that he preaches as well through a man, Jesus affirms the literal meaning of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. More precisely, thou shalt not murder. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains that the sixth commandment forbids much more than the literal act of murder. But he is not denying that the literal act of murder is indeed wrong. In verse 21, you find Jesus saying, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Here, Jesus is not denying what was said of old time. When He uses the word but, using the word but, the preposition but, does not deny what comes before it, as some may think it does. The word but indicates that Jesus does indeed have some, dis- has some disagreement with the Pharisees of His day, but His disagreement is not with their teaching altogether. He is not saying that when the Pharisees said, Thou shalt not kill, they were wrong or inaccurate. Rather, He is saying that the Pharisees were incomplete in their explanation of the Sixth Commandment. You see, the Pharisees and the elders of his day had not taught enough. Their view of the Sixth Commandment, as I mentioned in the introduction, was an outward keeping of that law. And that outward keeping of the law was meant to build up self-righteousness. That's done, or was done in Jesus' day not only, but is done today. Intentionally, sometimes, and sometimes unintentionally, human beings, Pharisee-like human beings, limit the keeping of the law to externals. If you, if you limit the keeping of the law to the external keeping of it, for example, thou shalt not murder, then you can build yourself up. I didn't kill anyone. I never murdered anyone, I never stabbed anyone, I never shot anyone. I must be pretty righteous, especially compared to the others who have done that, who have killed, who have aborted their babies, who have poisoned another, who have killed. I'm a pretty good person. 
The teaching of the law as externals is meant to promote self-righteousness, and that is our tendency as well. That's what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. And Jesus here is saying to them, you think that the sixth commandment is merely about externals? No. Rather, it is much broader in application. It is far more difficult to keep. It is not only forbid murder, it forbids more. But that doesn't mean Jesus is not saying, or that Jesus is saying that the act of murder is good. In fact, he is speaking of murder as wrong. When someone takes the life of another, he is committing one of the most blatant acts against the sixth commandment. You look at all the commandments of the law of God in the list of ten commandments, God has written in that list in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 the most explicit or the most blatant acts of breaking each commandment. But He doesn't go on and on in detail comprehensively about all the different ways of breaking each commandment. He brings up the most blatant or the grossest kinds of breaking of these commandments. All sin is serious. All sin deserves hell. But you must understand that not all sins are created equal. There are some sins that are of greater degree than others. And it is indeed the case that murder, the act of killing another person in hatred, is indeed one of the worst degrees of sin against the Sixth Commandment. The Catechism hints at that when it says much less that neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, and then this, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. The deeds of murder are indeed wrong and worse than the thoughts and the words. And so I apply it in abortion when parents terminate fertilized egg or embryo as they call it. That is not merely an aborted pregnancy. That is not only the removal of some living matter. That is the explicit act of murder that the Sixth Commandment forbids. And parents, listen carefully. While birth control in of itself may not be sinful, the pill, many contraceptives invented today not only prevent conception, but often at least have the very possibility of killing the child. That the contraceptive of pill did not prevent from forming. That is murder of the unborn, real human being that God has created in the womb. The Catechism includes this application that murder is not only the killing of others, but the killing of yourself. Also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger. The cutting of oneself, the starving of oneself, the harming of self, 
or the risking of your life, whether you kill yourself slowly or quickly, quickly or slowly, you are killing yourself. The overuse of alcohol, the overuse of smoking, vaping, or some other substance is to commit sin against the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. They're deeds of murder. Deeds of murder are explicitly wrong according to the sixth commandment. Not because, and here's the basis of the principle behind the sixth commandment, not because every human being has a right to life, as the world says and Republicans of today say. It's not because every man has a right to life. That's not so. Rather, it's because God alone has the right to life. To give life and to take life. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. See now, God says, that I, even I am He. Meaning, I am God. There is no God with me or beside me. And then an explanation or an application of it. I kill. And I make alive. God says. I am God. And therefore, as God the Creator, I give life and I take life. I alone. And there you have the basis of the sixth commandment. He alone may do so. For someone else to take another's life or to take your own life even is to take matters into your own hands. It is to play God. It is to behave as though you are God. Usurp His right. And to take the life that you have no right to take. God has created, given life to both elect and reprobate. And in giving life to both elect and reprobate, there He places a certain sanctity to human life. To the elect, to His people, He gives His own image. To the reprobate, He gives the capacity to bear that very image. Different from animals. There is a sanctity to human life that He has given and to attack and to kill is to attack that which is sacred. To take into your own hands what belongs only to God. Someone else's life. Thou shalt not kill. God says, and Jesus reiterates here in Matthew 5. But the main point of Jesus and also the main point of the Heidelberg Catechism is not only to apply the sixth commandment to the act or the deed of killing, but the main point is that the external act of murder is not only that which the sixth commandment forbids. Jesus teaches here that murder begins or starts in the heart. While it is worse to have Murder in the heart and then also in the act. It is also sin against the sixth to have murder in the heart. Catechism says, in forbidding murder, God teaches us that He abhors the causes thereof. 
not only hates or abhors the causes of murder, that which is in the heart, but he accounts all these as murder. The Catechism, as you can see, speaks of envy, speaks of hatred, speaks of a desire for revenge that is within the heart. All that's related to this one word that Jesus especially focuses our attention on in Matthew 5, and so we do as well. Anger. Anger. Verse 22, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And as you read that and think upon that verse, you might immediately say to yourself, well, I'm angry with good cause. Jesus says, if you're angry without a cause, then you commit murder. I'm angry for good cause. And many call it, I have a righteous anger. Be careful. Most who are angry, who claim to have a righteous anger, have a very unrighteous kind. The words without cause there mean literally without careful consideration. So I ask you who think you have a righteous anger within your heart that you consider carefully, with careful consideration, whether it is For if it is not a righteous anger, it is murder. Jesus is first of all talking about a rash temper, a quick temper. Someone who has a quick temper does not consider whether his anger is righteous or not. He quickly lashes out. He quickly gets heated, we say. He is a hothead. He has a short string. He engages in road rage. We might say, I'm just frustrated. Murder, Jesus says. Sin against the sixth commandment. James 1 verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And we often miss this. Someone who's Swift to speak instead is quick to be angry usually. James says, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man or the anger of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Such a quick, rash temper is what Jesus is especially applying in application of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. Secondly, Jesus is referring here to a selfish anger. Not only a quick temper or rash anger, but a selfish anger. The King James translation speaks of this anger as angry without a cause. And that's not wrong, but it's related to the literal idea of without proper or careful consideration. The King James Version is drawing out the idea That there is not a good, a solid reason for this anger. What's the the only solid reason? Good cause or righteous cause for anger in the heart of anyone? 
It's the glory of God. It's the glory of God. It's the seeking of God's glory. Not mine. Not mine. That's a selfish anger. When Jesus went through the temple court, that story that many often refer to to excuse their own anger. When Jesus went to the temple court and angrily turned over the tables, chasing out money changers, don't imagine that this was a quick temper done out of control. It was not. And don't either imagine that Jesus did it because He was zealous for His own self. Self-glory. He said it explicitly, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This was not a self-focused anger. It was an anger against the sin, against God's house. God's house. It was a God-focused anger. A displeasure in the people of God making the temple a den of thieves. Why are you angry? Why do you lash out? Is it really for God's glory? Is it truly because someone has been the occasion of blasphemy against God's name? Is it really because a brother or sister has sinned against God's grace? You're angry because they are offending God and you want not their destruction, but their repentance. Righteous anger is not selfish because I want to be correct. I want to prove myself right. I want to show them up. It's for God's glory. That's the one reason. Jesus speaks against unrighteous anger, which is quick or rash, which is self-serving. And third, which is long-lasting. Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and sin not. He allows for a righteous anger. Sin not. And then this explanation, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Let not suns in the plural go down upon your wrath. Let not one sun, Ephesians says, and it better not be more than one sun. Do not go to sleep angry, especially with your spouse. Let it not continue that anger in your heart, lest you give place to the devil, Ephesians continues, 4 verse 27, lest you open yourself up to the devil to take control of your heart with that anger and work in you greater murderous thoughts and activities. The synonym for anger, which continues for many sons in your heart, is that invisible but festering sin called bitterness. The subtlety of bitterness is such that often it comes because someone else has committed a grievous sin against you. It hurts badly and the wound doesn't go away. 
But the anger continues, becomes bitterness, and is the root, as Hebrews 12.15 calls it, a root of bitterness out of which there springs forth all kinds of other sins against the sixth commandment, including a desire for revenge. It's murder. This long-lasting anger is murder. Along with the heart of murder, the Catechism mentions gestures of anger, or gestures. Gestures, children, are movements which don't actually make contact with another person to hurt or wound. But the middle finger or the L for loser, or the twisting of the hand behind someone's back to indicate that you think they are crazy, or any other gesture to attack another person is murder. We need to seriously consider you who like video games, video games of today, when we control our characters on the screen, with gestures or controls with our hands. And within our heart, there are angry thoughts. With our gestures, we say we eliminate others. We need to seriously consider if that is murder, not the literal act, but of the heart, perhaps, of gestures, Jesus especially brings up that which comes forth from the heart, words, words. Murder with the lips. Verse 22, Whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You know what Rekha means? Rekha means literally empty-headed. It is equivalent to words of today like stupid, blockhead, dimwit, and so on. Such name-calling children is murder, Jesus says. It is an attack upon a person's mind and intellectual abilities, not only, but it's killing. And you know many words like that which exist today. They only multiply. Jesus continues, Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Fool, in the Greek, is moros. It's where we get the English word moron. It was a word used back in Jesus' day, worse than reka, probably a cuss word, but that which is commonly used today. And there are many words that are equivalent to it. Murder, Jesus says. When parents speak angry words to berate and demean their children, even if they don't use those explicit words, 
which Jesus refers to here. They kill their own children. If they spank in anger to pay them back, that's not just abuse. Jesus says it's murder. When a husband attacks his wife with his mouth or with violence, that's not only abuse, it is. It's murder. When a wife attacks her husband with her lips, that's murder. When adults in home, church, and school use their authority and power to manipulate children or those younger or under their authority in order to exploit them sexually. That's not only the breaking of the seventh commandment. That is first the breaking of the sixth. And if churches and members of churches know that such sexual abuse continues and they do not do anything about it, or as the Catechism says, prevent hurt as much as in us lies, we join in murder of the victim. When theologians of the most conservative kind with Protestant reform doctrine take up that doctrine which is true and use it in angry polemics with hateful sarcasm and vengeful mockery against others, even if they are outside our denomination. But brothers, murder, Jesus calls it. Oh yes, of course, the truth must be spoken clearly. The lie must be contradicted. There must be polemics to warn God's people against that which is false to protect the sheep. But we have been guilty. And many of our attacks against others, and we have tasted it when it comes our way. Learn, beloved, Thou shalt not kill. Thus far we have considered that Christ in His interpretation of the Sixth Commandment forbids the act of murder, the anger from the heart, which is the cause of murder, words of murder. And now Jesus progresses to the positive. In other words, this commandment, just like all the other commandments in God's law, don't only have a thou shalt not, but implied in every commandment is a thou shalt, making the commandment even harder to obey. The opposite of murder is love, as you know. The summary of God's law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the catechism in question answer 107 speaks of that. Is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No. And positively, 
And God forbids envy, hatred, and anger. He commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then has a list of how to, sh- to love our neighbor. To show patience. How patient have you been? Peace, and meekness, mercy, and all kindness toward Him, our neighbor. And prevent His hurt as much as in us lies. And that we do good to who? Even to our enemies. Sin is not merely to refrain, or it is not merely to commit murder, but it's to refrain from loving when we should. There are many applications that the Catechism points us to, but Jesus focuses us on one act of love so important, especially in the church of Jesus Christ, and that one act of love is called reconciliation. Reconciliation. Therefore, verse 23, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Jesus describes a situation there among brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ. Those who have fought with each other. Those who have, have had a dispute with each other. Those who, in the last controversy perhaps, didn't agree didn't agree in how we dealt with things. And so, you're frustrated, you say. Which is just a euphemism for anger. A brother you feel has sinned against you, against the church. And you hold anger in your heart. Well, you know that brother has anger toward you. Because you have done something to offend him. And then you come to church. But you know, it's impossible to put it out of your mind. It's there. Jesus says, You remember thy brother hath ought against thee. What is his clear injunction? To you who have anger toward your brother yet, or to you who know there is an angry brother brother who is upset with you, go. Leave your gift and go to that brother and be reconciled. Seek it at the very least. Your brother won't, that's one thing. But you are to seek it. To seek it with all you've got. By the grace of God working in you. Seek that reconciliation, which means express your sorrow for your own sin. Without excusing, without blaming, without pointing the finger. Ask for forgiveness. And let brothers express that forgiveness to each other. And then come. And worship together. Reconcile. Reconcile. That's the love. And to refuse it, you see, 
to reject that reconciliation, to say, I'm not going to pursue it, is the breaking of the sixth commandment. That's Jesus' application here. That's what he's expounding on. It's a refusal to love the brother that God has set in your midst in your church. To emphasize this point, Jesus puts it in the context of worship. Worship. When you come to worship especially, you remember your brother has ought against you. Go away, literally. And reconcile first. Let's put it in the first person to impress it upon you. Jesus says, if you come to my presence, if you come in my presence to worship me for my work, what is my work? My work of reconciling you to myself in grace and mercy and patience and love. If you come to my house to worship me for my work in reconciling me to you, you to me, how can you come celebrating that reconciliation when you are not reconciling with your brother? That's hypocrisy, you see. It's, a, it's to act sorry for your sin when you continue impenitently in anger. It is to celebrate the forgiveness of sins and you continue in bitterness against your brother. Go, Jesus says. Not stay away. He didn't say that. But go and be reconciled first. Then come and celebrate the gospel, which is all about reconciliation. As soon as possible is his point. Do not delay. He follows in in verse 25, agree with thy adversary quickly, quickly, go quickly. Right after church today, before the evening, before the next Sunday service comes around, before communion, don't wait till preparatory when your conscience is pricked because you know you ought not come to the Lord's Supper at odds with your brother. Be reconciled now. Today, get help from a pastor, a counselor if needed. If it be possible, Romans 12, 18, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Jesus warns about judgment. He applies the sixth commandment to anger, to words of anger to the positive of reconciliation. And then he speaks of judgment. Judgment of, the th of three kinds. Judgment in a secular court. Judgment in a church court. And judgment in God's court in the last day. Jesus warns of all three. Verse 25. Jesus warns of judgment in a secular court or in the civil government. Agree means reconcile with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. On this earth when sinners fight and sin against each other and there are wounds, 
There is sometimes trouble with the law, lawsuits. And as a result, there are even those in the church of Jesus Christ who are thrown into jail. The civil government does what is just in doing that. That is their duty, beloved. That is their duty. There is some misunderstanding among conservative Reformed churches that the civil government is our enemy and they don't do anything good. Oh yes, they might be reprobates who cannot do anything truly good before God, but God uses them for our good. Romans 13.4 He that is the government official is the minister of God to thee for good, especially for the protection of God's people. And you will use them. If there is a crime like sexual abuse committed in the church, you will report it. If there is any other crime, the government must punish. You will speak of it to them. That is their responsibility and your obligation to report it to them. God has set them in authority for our good. God would have judgment on this earth also. That is a warning of Jesus Christ. But Jesus also warns about judgment in the church. Whosoever, verse 22, shall say to his brother Rekha, shall be in danger of the council, literally the Sanhedrin. That is Jesus' way of telling the Pharisees and the church leaders of His day that while they didn't commit outward acts of murder, their angry hearts, their desire to kill Jesus, their hatred and evil words ought to have been judged in their own church assembly. That's the duty of elders. Children, adults, recognize this, that if name-calling continues among you children, if there is evil speaking, there are hurtful words, there ought to be discipline for impenitence. It's murder. Jesus warns of judgment in the church. But of course, the judgment in the civil government and the judgment in the church of discipline all leads to Jesus' emphasis on judgment in the end. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Yes, that is hell. That's what he refers to as well in verse 26. Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. There Jesus, yes, includes there the payment of a fine before the civil government. But also, the payment for sin in hell. And as you know, since hell is eternal, you will by no means come out thence. That's the warning. Those who continue impenitently in wrath will face God's wrath. Who says this? Jesus Verily, verily, I say unto thee, verse 26. 
I said. Not a Pharisee. Not a Protestant Reformed preacher. Not Moses and the prophets. Not a preacher who wants to emphasize good works too much and obedience to the law. Jesus says it. He is a lawgiver and the law keeper. And because Jesus says it, first of all, that means it must be true. His interpretation of the law is absolutely correct. And the judgment that he warns about is for certain. He says it as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And you and I must take heed. He, the judge himself, will make sure of keeping his word of judgment. But secondly, since Jesus himself says it, verily, verily, I say unto you, we have comfort. Because his name means Jehovah Savior. And though he is the lawgiver, he is also the law keeper. And in our place he stood to suffer. To suffer the wrath we deserve for our wrath. To suffer the judgment we deserve for our anger, for our murder. And in our place he stood not only to suffer it, the wrath of God, but to live it. A life of perfect love instead of hatred. A life of righteous anger for the glory of God. A life of perfect righteousness in our place. And so the calling to you in the end of Christ's word is the familiar calling to repent and believe. To turn from your sins of ungodly anger and to rest in Jesus Christ by faith for forgiveness only because of Him and His sacrifice and to worship Him out of thanks. Yet, beloved, if you remember that your brother hath ought against you after this sermon, before you come back next Sunday, leave your gift on the altar. And go, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come to enjoy the comfort, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your forgiveness. Then come without hypocrisy to celebrate the wonderful work of reconciliation between God and men and men and men. Why first, you ask? Why does Jesus say first? Well, we could get into a more complex explanation of the order here. Our repentant heart must come first before the enjoyment of this gospel of reconciliation with God. But here's a simple answer. Why first be reconciled 
and then come. Because Jesus said so. Because your Lord and Savior said so. And the sinner saved by grace will take heed, repent and believe, and obey. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we confess, we confess our sins. Our sins against the sixth commandment even, of murder. Now it's called us to love, and we have hated the ones that we are supposed to love the most, we have attacked the most with our hearts, our thoughts, our words, our gestures, our deeds. Forgive us for the sake of Jesus Christ alone. And work in us true repentance and faith tonight also that we may go forth and behave as those who have been reconciled to Thee reconciling also with one another for the glory of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.